When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the, other, with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers came up and mocked him, and they offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminals rebuked him, and don't fear God, he said, since you are under the same, don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we punished, we are punished justly, for we are getting the deeds, we we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in, when when you go when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, "Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise." Thank you, Tash. Well, it's my pleasure now to invite Bishop Kate Proud to come and preach for us tonight. Welcome, Bishop. Why don't we give her a round of applause? Well, how wonderful it is to be here and. Um, I visited Tim here quite early on, I think, in my ministry um, as a bishop. And as soon as I came into St. John's, I thought, what a beautiful church, what a wonderful space. And um, I certainly sense that tonight here, worshipping with you. And in a way, I think this sermon is unnecessary because we have heard three amazing sermons already. And I'm so moved by what I've heard tonight. Um, and I hope that um, all of us, uh, you know, go away pondering your words, um, the gospel that you have given us tonight. I want to thank you um, for your willingness to be so raw with us, for the challenges that you have given us, and for the witness that you have shared with us in, in telling all of us um, by your life and the joy, even through the suffering that you have either been through and still go through. And that's something that I think gives so much power to your stories. It's not like it all happened back there, my struggles happened back there, and here I am today, all fixed up. Actually, you are living witnesses to what we all experience in life but don't always like to admit, and that is that life is full of suffering and the challenge for all of us is how do we find God in that suffering? So I want to thank you. You've already heard three wonderful sermons. If you want to go and fantasise about what you need to do tomorrow for the next 10 minutes, feel free to do that while I talk. But anyway, I'll keep going because I'm here. 
and uh, I just wanted to share a few things with you. And recently, I've been in England. I was on a working trip, and on one of my days off, though, when I was in London, I went to visit the National Portrait Gallery. Now, I've had never been to the National Portrait Gallery before, and of course, it's full of just pictures of people. Not many women. They don't appear till about, I don't know, the 18th century or something. But anyway, that's a whole other sermon. But there was painting after painting of um, famous people, most of whom I didn't know, but I was fascinated in being there. And then I returned to Australia and I'd brought back with me a book that I'd bought um, at a preaching conference I had attended in Oxford. And the writer, it's a book of sermons, it's a wonderful collection, and the writer uh, talked in one of his sermons about his trip to the National Portrait Gallery. And he, uh, in that book, uh, in that sermon rather, he posed some questions that I wanted to pose um, to the um, uh, baptismal candidates and confirmees tonight, but also to all of us here. I think they're relevant. And the questions go a bit like this. I wonder if and how you would like to be captured in a portrait in a gallery? How would you want others to see you? And if you were hanging up your self-portrait, would it look the same or similar to a portrait, to a painting that somebody else was doing of you? And what clothes would you want to wear in your portrait? And what emotion, what feeling would you want others to see in this painting of you? For example, would you want people to see that you're happy or contented or serious or courageous or sympathetic or smart or reliable or popular, funny? And then what would you want to keep hidden? What would you not want somebody to see about you in this portrait? Perhaps that you're lonely or you don't like how you look or the shape of your body or that you're sad or depressed or worried or you lack confidence or you think you make too many mistakes or you can't always be relied upon. And then when this portrait was finished, would your friends recognise you or your teachers or your parents or your work colleagues or other relatives? Would people here know that it was you in that painting? And how would it be to hand over that painting and have it hanging up in a gallery forevermore for people to come and look at and scrutinise and make comments about your portrait? Now, Alex and Megan and Broman are about to be baptised and then they'll be confirmed. And all eyes are on you today, as they have been already. And there are expectations too, as you've already testified to, as you make your promises to live as disciples of Christ, to be lights to the world, to help people in darkness, and each one of you, knows what it is to live in darkness. And here you are, shining light. 
showing us your light. And your job as baptised Christians, as it is for all of us who are baptised, is to shine the healing light of Jesus in those dark places. We've just been given a glimpse, actually, of your beautiful portraits, haven't we? I can't see Megan. Oh, there she is. Oh, sorry, Bronwyn. There you go. So, normally I have you sitting together, so that's why I'm looking all over the place. So my prayer for you, the three of you as followers of Jesus, is that you will continue to be faithful to the commitment you're about to make in your baptism and confirmation. And that in this commitment, others will recognise your desire to follow Jesus. And I think we already know this after what we've heard tonight. Now, we can't possibly imagine how many different portraits of Jesus have been painted throughout history all around the world. And as I wonder what Jesus what might want me and you to see by looking at his portrait, my hunch is that he wouldn't be so interested in finding out what others might think when they look at him, but rather he would hope that when you look, when you and I look at his portrait, we would see something of ourselves reflected back, something of our own worth, something about how wonderful we all are created in his image. And I think that as we look at Jesus' portrait, we would see and hear a message, something along the lines of, I understand you. I'm not distant from you, but am alongside you. I hear your concerns and I am your good shepherd. I forgive your sins and you are wonderful just as you are. You are part of me and we belong together. But of course, being a disciple of Jesus is demanding. And tomorrow, that's it. Tomorrow you're going to wake up and you'll go to work or go to uni or go to school and you'll look just like you do tonight. And you'll go about your daily routine and nothing much will have changed on the outside. But on the inside, right here, there will be a difference. Because you are saying yes to Jesus in this very public, upfront way. It's as if you are now Jesus' apprentices and you will go to the places that you don't want to go to sometimes, that you don't expect to go to. And there's going to be resistance. We've already heard about some of that tonight. You've been honest in talking and sharing about that with us. But remember, of course, that Jesus knew exactly what this struggle was like. He spent his life being with people who weren't popular, who weren't rich, who weren't always pleasant. And this is the one you're promising to follow. So, of course, he's going to ask you if you're going to be his apprentices, his disciples, his followers. Of course, he's going to ask you to go to exactly the same kind of places that he went to himself. And in those very places, lives changed and God's love was found and hope and joy and forgiveness was experienced. And when we think about what is it we need to be able to follow Jesus, 
you will have everything you need because in a moment we will pray in the sacrament of baptism that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and be inside you. And every time you come to the holy table and receive bread and wine, you will be taking inside you the body and blood of Jesus. And that's all you need. All we have to do is come to the table with empty hands and we are filled with everything we need. That's the miracle, isn't it? One tiny piece of bread, one sip of wine, that's all we need to be filled with the food to go and share with others the good news. The reading we heard read tonight from Luke's Gospel is the reading for this special day in the church's calendar. It's actually the Feast of Christ the King. It marks the end of our church calendar year and next Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent, the first of four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And usually, of course, when we think of royalty, we think of money and influence and privilege and power and being able to do what you want, when you want and how you want, unless we're thinking of Prince Andrew, but let's not go there. But as we heard in our reading today or tonight, our King Jesus is different. He's the king who speaks kindly and forgivingly to the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise, he says. He's the king who cares for the poor, who chooses to spend time with the least popular, the unloved, the poor, the losers. These are the ones our King Jesus invites to the dinner table. Our King Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And from that we know that Jesus is always there beside us wherever we find ourselves to be. He's always there with us saying, look at me, look at my portrait and see in me that you are precious and loved and then go and show my love to others. Now, as Kirk said at the beginning of tonight, bishops do wear, well, he didn't say ridiculous clothes, but when I had a conversation with him about this service and I said, well, it's usual when the bishop comes to evangelical churches to wear these robes, which are called convocation robes, he said, well, you're going to be more dressed than anybody else here tonight. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm fine with that. I don't mind being overdressed. But I wear these robes for a few reasons that I think are relevant to share with you tonight. Firstly, I wear them to remind any parish that I visit that you belong to something much bigger than St. John's, that you are part of the wider diocese of Melbourne, and as your bishop, I represent this. And the bishop is a sign of unity. So I stand here as a symbol of unity, reminding all of us that we're much bigger, that we belong to one another, and all our diversity and difference is an amazing thing. And let me tell you, for the last 12 months as I've travelled around to different parishes, I've never seen such diversity, and it's wonderful. There is no one size fits all as far as church concerns. And we all have our special way of saying, we are the body of Christ. Secondly, when I was first consecrated, made a bishop, that means, 
I couldn't believe how often it was after that occasion, it was only just over a year ago, how often it was that I got up in the morning and put on that purple shirt and placed that cross around my neck, both signs of the role of the bishop. And I did it day after day, and I still do it day after day, not because I need to show everyone that I'm a bishop, but I do it, and here's the relevance to the three of you tonight. I do it because it's my way of saying I'm inhabiting, literally inhabiting, this role, this call. Because this is the vocation that the church has discerned that I'm called to. And I've made a promise to be faithful to that call. And every day when I put on that shirt and place that cross around my neck, I'm committing myself again to the promises I made when I said I'd become a bishop. It's as if I renew them. And tomorrow I'll do the same again. And on it goes. And it's no different for you, Megan, for you, Alex, and for you, Bronwyn. Whether we're a bishop or a priest or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or a student or a professional, we work in coals. As baptised and confirmed Christians, we are inhabiting the promise to live as disciples of Christ, to be lights of Christ in the world, to preach the good news, to go and make disciples. It might look more obvious when you're wearing a purple shirt and a cross, but the baptismal call to be disciples of Christ is our shared call. So, inhabit your baptismal call. Inhabit the promises that you're about to make. This is your call and it's mine. It's the call we all share. Megan, Bronwyn and Alex, you are portraits of God's love. God is using you. God has chosen you. And you have said yes. Thanks be to God. And the rest of us are here cheering you on and praising God with you. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. If you have any questions about this podcast, send us an email, questions at stjohnsdc.org.au. 